I feel like artists of color aren't important until their art exploits the pain of their own people. And so with that, like, I've really been thinking a lot about like, what do I want to do? Like, do I want to continue just showing the pain of my people and like showing painful history? Or do I want to like grow into this artist that like can do more work on individualized stories rather than collective trauma? Welcome to our podcast series, Resistance in Color. We explore resistance as the way that we fight the challenges, structures that negatively affect spheres of our mental, social and physical health. We hear from a host of BIPOC voices of community members featuring activists, healers, organizers, students. We will engage in how we resist, find solidarity and gain insight on how to cope within our own bodies. The series features stories of incredible resilience focused on the healing of both individuals and communities as an active form of resistance. This podcast series has been made possible by the Fund for Safe Communities grant of the Minneapolis Foundation to NAMI Minnesota's Multicultural Youth Advisory Board. Welcome and thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Resistance in Color. My name is Pere and our guest today is Mai, who is a rising senior at McAllister College. She is studying media and cultural studies with an emphasis in film, theater and dance, as well as psychology. She's really passionate about filmmaking because she sees it as a complex digital art that allows us to depict the many different human experiences that exist. She wants to highlight stories that are not often talked about and she is curious um, and wants to contribute to more BIPOC representation with an emphasis on Asian American representation in media. Mai, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Mai is actually one of our Multicultural Young Adults board members, so whoop whoop on her lending her voice today here. Mai, you were part of this conversation, I guess, from behind the scenes when we were thinking about what resistance in color is. But I'm curious to hear from you, what does that, what do you hear when we say that? Yeah, I think that right off the bat, when I think about resistance in color, I think about solidarity of communities of color and how like within that solidarity, there's a lot of learning and unlearning that mm. needs to happen. Unpack a little bit on what you mean on the unlearning. What do you think we've learned that is wrong? I mean, I guess there's a lot, but tell me a little bit about some of the things that come to mind when you say that. Yeah, I think this year there's been um, an emphasis on uh, unlearning anti-blackness within the Asian communities because of what's been happening over the course of this year and the past year. Yeah. And so I feel like you can't really be in solidarity if you aren't getting rid of um, past concepts and past beliefs that are internalized mm. or have been internalized through years and years of education or other types of learning that you've received from other people, mm. you know? For sure. Mm-hmm. Misinformation, I guess, also, and stereotypes mm-hmm. and prejudice. That Mis- yeah, misinformation, stereotypes, all the other stuff that you have internalized. And sometimes, like, I feel like you don't even realize that you're that you have those types of thoughts in you until, like, yeah. somebody else calls you off for it. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's important. That's the importance of having conversations with people. Because I, it's, even with the most beautiful intentions, we realize sometimes how skewed opinions are and how they've been told in a particular narrative and we are still perpetuating biases mm-hmm. because we just don't know. We haven't had a conversation with you and been like, my, I think this about this and then you correct me when I'm wrong mm-hmm. or you're like, actually, JK, that's not it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you can't be resisting in color. You can't be a solidarity of communities of color if you're not learning about each other's mm-hmm. cultures, each other's experiences, perspectives, and like helping to reshape, rechange all of that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I think also one of the things that the, we can use the oppressor here. One of the things the <laughs> oppressor does is makes it look like they're different battles or they're different mm-hmm, issues. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it feels yeah. like you can't fight for this other issues. You're already fighting for this. Just stick to one. When generally mm-hmm. we are we are all fighting for mm-hmm. for being seen for validity. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Like, this year, um, there's a term, Oppression Olympics, that has been, like, being thrown around, which is, like, very true. Like, that's 
that's what's been happening. Like, I feel like with COVID-19 happening mm. and, like, the, um, and various uh, accounts of police brutality being shown online nowadays, like, yeah. there's so many different issues that we have to focus on that are, that link back to our communities of color, like, our own communities. And so I feel like we kind of feel this need to, like, fight for ourselves. Mm. But, and so, like, because of that, then, like, we're kind of, like, throwing out our oppressions, like, in into, like, the world. Like, oh, well, you say that you go through this, but I go through this and this. Yes. And you say that you go through this, but I go through <laughs> this and that. Yeah. And so, and so instead of, like, putting our energy into, like, the main, um, instead of putting our energy into, like, working for a better community for all of us, we're kind of, like, attacking each other yes. without seeing the real problem. Yeah. And so we can't have that solidarity we when can. we're not, like, learning with each other. Mm. Seeing um, activism or, like, standing up for each other as, like, a transaction, you know? Mm. Like, you give me this much, and I'll give you this much. If you don't give me this, then I won't give you that. And it's, like, humanity is not about transacting action. It's, it's just about, like, being caring and kind and, you know, like, being human. So that's a big way to start our conversation um, and I guess a, a big way also to frame some of the things that we'll be talking about too. Do you consider your artistic work as an act of resistance and maybe speak to the reality of this, why you would think it or why you would not think it is? Yeah, I think, like, I believe that simply by being artists of colour, you yourself are enacting an act of resistance because mm. I feel like like working in this field of art whatever type of art that may be like it's kind of seen as a field that is reserved for people with money and yeah. with like <laughs> systemic support like generational mm. networks and so like no matter what type of art you're doing or what you're doing with your work being an artist of color itself like you yourself are the act of resistance hey. against uh social expectations you know yeah Look and also that. i think that like <laughs> I think that, like, specifically for myself, like, being a Pong woman, yes. choosing to do film is, like, a very big act of resistance because mm. in my culture or, like, at least in my family, like, we still have this, like, idea, this belief that, like, a daughter, a woman should just, like, be a caretaker for like, her family mm. and then be a caretaker for um, a, the family of whoever she marries. Mm-hmm. And so you're never your own person. You're yeah. just kind of, like this woman that is expected to take care of other people. And so I think that simply by not even, it doesn't even matter like what I do as a filmmaker, like <laughs> yes. just simply choosing to be a film worker yeah. and like putting my feet down and like, this is my act of resistance. Yes, you know? yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. This is, sure. this is me being my and not just being a Hmong woman. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think this past year we've seen... Um, different ways in which art has been used to communicate resistance. Like we've seen it in murals, even here in, in just in the Twin Cities, we've seen murals go up, we've seen uh, pictures and videos being p- painted to kind of convey a different message, even from the one that police would kind of put out to say, this is the face of a murderer or like a thief or a criminal, and then this is a face of a father, this is a face of a child, someone's son, you know. So, um, um, when you've been thinking, and um, I guess going through this past year and looking at the different artwork that you kind of follow and are interested in, um, some of your inspirations or some of the things that you have been drawing from, talk to me about the different kinds of resistance work that you've observed. Not even, I guess, even just this year that you feel have been um, pushing at the status quo, like, pushing against the status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the works that really struck me or, like, essentially, like, pushed me into my own work mm-hmm. is um, last year when the George Floyd, Floyd case, like, first came out, um, I think Atlantis 13, which is, like, a Minnesota-based um, dance company that, like, you know, um, challenges and rewrites whitewashed black history, they, they either made the post or they shared a post um, and, like, the ca- the post was, like, of a Black dancer dancing in the ocean. It was just, like, very visually beautiful. Yes. But the caption of it was, like, um, why are we always only our pain narratives? Or, like, we are more than our pain narratives? Something mm. like that. But the essential message was that, like, 
why can't we be artists that just makes art? Like, why do we always have to like talk about the pain of our people? Yes. And so that that made that start that made, oh, <laughs> that that made me think a lot about like why am I making art? Like, hmm. why I feel like in my time as a college student, like whenever I'm making like a film piece or like a because I'm doing dance as well, like or an art piece, or yes. a dance piece, it's always like. I'm trying to like prove myself to this white institution to these white people that like I have this story like this is my people's story this is what we suffer from yes and it's and I've come to realize that like you guys should be the ones that are learning about like what you did what your people did huh. to my people mm-hmm. why am I here like trying to prove myself <laughs> and like having to go through like the a traumatic experience of like going through my people's own traumatic history yes just to prove to you that like my art is worth something yes. and like why can't I just be like a white artist who like I don't know like draws a flower and then suddenly <laughs> they're like famous you know like why does my artwork always have to be about the pain, pain. of my people mm. like why can't it like be celebratory why can't it just be like an everyday type of art you know yeah like, I feel like artists of color aren't important until their art exploits the pain of their own people oh, wow. and so with that like i've really been thinking a lot about like what do i want to do like do i want to continue just showing the pain of my people and like showing painful history mm. or do i want to like grow into this artist that like can do more work on individualized stories rather than collective trauma you know wow. as i'm hearing you saying this it, it's actually a bit not not a bit it's a bit and <laughs> not a bit it's enraging it makes you a bit angry to be like wow all those beautiful pieces and i think even if you think about like um mm-hmm. uh movies that end up winning grammys that are commentaries on race mm-hmm. or on oppression it's just a lot of depiction of the pain and the trauma that mm-hmm. like that people went through um people yeah. who are oppressed went through and like mm-hmm. you're saying we're, re- we're we're saying that narrative again but i think do you think there's also validity in taking ownership of the story and saying i'm going to tell it and yes we were the victims of this and yes we were oppressed by it mm-hmm. but it does give back some power to be like i'm the one telling the story this time i am the one who is framing and and I'm the one who re- who's reporting everything that was done because then if you think about it if it was done the if we were to ask um this the um for it to be told by the other side mm-hmm. they would leave out a lot of things from the narrative they'd be like oh but yeah. we didn't do anything we really just went in and we said hi mm-hmm. and somebody fell down and they were bleeding and then they died they they might leave out a lot of the details <laughs> of the of the trauma and the hurt and so, mm-hmm. do you think there's also that that power yeah, and taking yeah. back taking back the narrative? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just gonna elaborate on that. Like with all that I said, like I don't think that we should stop like telling our own narratives. Mm. Like, that we should like stop from like telling cultural trauma. I do think that like it shouldn't be it shouldn't solely be our it shouldn't be our sole responsibility mm. to be telling the stories of our. Um, of our people's trauma you know like i think that um there's a space there's uh, there's definitely a space and a need for us to tell these stories mm. however i feel like if we are only focusing on our pain narratives i feel like we're not able to see ourselves as um more than that you know because mm. i feel like our art is used as a reflection of like who we are and who we want to be yeah and we if we are continuously like stuck on this pain narrative then I feel like we can't grow from it. I feel like, you know, like, I'm not I'm not trying to say, like, oh, don't tell the stories of, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the wars or, like, whatever happened to your people. Like, definitely do it, and, like, it's needed. However, I feel that that shouldn't be the only thing that we're doing, you know? Mm. And it shouldn't be the only type of art that makes us seem valuable yes, to for sure. these white institutions. Like, for sure. obviously, like, there are stories of war, genocide, slavery etc that needs to be told from the perspective of people who are from those cultural groups yes but at the same time like you shouldn't confine yourself to only telling those stories because if you are stuck within that narrative forever then Mm -hmm. you're just gonna be telling the same pain narrative over and over and like there's not a projection of who you want to be who you want your people to be right you know 
You right. know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, I'm not here to like trash and be like, no, stop telling stories about <laughs> blah 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 blah. No, be like we can be more than that, and we should be more than that. You know, for sure. And I think it's also now a good time to call out the people who do a lot of funding for art and film because like you said it is like an expensive mm-hmm. venture that yeah um, yeah but 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 even i think about it on the other end those are the things that's where the money is that mm-hmm. the people who are giving the monies to people yeah. of color want to see those they want to yeah, see that film yeah, about yeah, pain and trauma yeah, they don't want to see you being there joy and happy so those yeah. people need to be called out yeah like you as an artist you do you but the institutions that are supporting us like they need to realize that we cannot only be focusing on pain we have to like yeah. have opportunities to be funded to do work mm-hmm. in other realms you know but how 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 do we then do that because if this institutions that have the 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 money in this case which gives them a lot of power to decide what films are put where or going to mm-hmm. this basic is or get um even airplay wherever it is how can we how can artists kind of fight fight back with that because if you as an artist like you said artist you do you do you do your work do whatever brings you joy do whatever you want to communicate how do we make sure that translates into making sure that message gets out if the people who are supporting this uh who are supporting art are supporting very specific trauma field art mm. Yeah, I think that that's a very difficult thing to answer. Not difficult, but not difficult to answer, but difficult to see come become a reality mm. just because like a lot of these institutions are obviously backed up by white individuals mm. or like white corporations yes. that I feel like they don't have an interest in like BIPOC prosperity. They have mm. an interest in BIPOC trauma, which <laughs> racist. <laughs> but like it's it's hard to be an artist when you're working in a field that is not meant for is not created for you you know it's mm-hmm. created for people who have a sense of privilege who are not people of color and so i feel like one way to kind of go about this is for artists of color to be funded by corporation not corporations but like by organizations who are people of color, you know, mm-hmm. which is kind of difficult to find again because there's not a lot of people of color within the field who have the money to be supporting you, you know. So yeah. it's it's a difficult thing to navigate mm-hmm. because you want to make the money but there's not a organization with the funds for you that will fund you or the thing that you want to do. Right. And the organization that will fund you is a white organization that wants to see this specific narrative. trauma type mm. of narrative. Mm. Again, so, like, it's difficult to see become a reality, but there are definitely ways that, we like, we can imagine it and yeah. see it become a reality. Like, I'm thinking about, like, you know, like, I think there are a number of um, uh, specific cultural groups or specific organizations that like will fund specific artists from there are specific there okay let me rephrase this that's okay that's <laughs> there right. are yeah there are organizations out there that will fund you if you're from their specific culture group mm-hmm. however there's still like the um the problems of like you know like what are what is this organization trying trying to see from you like they still have a certain idea or like a certain vision that they want from you as an artist and mm. so even even then there's like a lack of creative freedom when you're tying your work to money you know and so like this is a very um uh, not realistic not idealistic but i think the thing is to like detach your work from money mm. but again like we live in a capitalist we world, live in a capitalist so, <laughs> so it's hard to be like i'm gonna make the art that i want and it doesn't matter if I'm making money or not. So, you know, it's difficult to navigate, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Ha. The easy answer is for um, institutions to stop being racist and to just fund all artists of colors, no matter what type of narrative they're doing. However, obviously, that's not going to happen. <laughs> But we get, we'll keep we'll keep shouting and maybe they'll be yeah. listening. We just keep shouting it loud enough. We just keep, exactly, exactly. keep shouting it and keep supporting the work that's out there. Um, 
as we were having this conversation and thinking also about this past year and how that has changed a lot of what the society understands or says about the role of art you know i think sometimes even growing up when children are like oh i want to be an artist um or if you say that you're from certain communities if you say that you're going to study art your parents will be like sorry you're going to do what you're going to mm-hmm. play with crayons you're going to play be a <laughs> dj you know it there's very there's a very limited scope into which i guess um um sometimes we understand art but this year i think we've seen art um in lots of different ways art that we've seen with people on the streets organizing and protesting and using art that we've seen as music that has come as social commentary or films but how do you think this past year when people have been mostly homebound or mostly bound to um one specific place or area or limited not even bound <clears throat> how do you think that has changed the way we think about art the role of art in the society the creation of art as well like the process of it the knowledge of what it does the comforting nature of art how do you think this year has kind of changed the way people feel and think about art mm. i think i don't know if i can speak for other people okay, but i know that yeah at least for myself like i feel like i've come to realize how built into our bodies art is you know i feel like it's a very human thing to want to do mm. and you like this is very cliche but, like you can't stop it you know like it's in your blood even cuz like mm, with dance like with uh with covid-19 mm-hmm. um social distancing restrictions obviously um i wasn't able to go into the studios and obviously i don't have like the money to like pay for like a private studio <laughs> session you yes. know like i had to like go into public studios and dance with other people yes. but with restrictions that wasn't allowed and yet like i found myself like going to the park to dance there or like dancing like outside which is like something that like i've never thought i would do cuz like i'm very shy about dancing mm. but then like i would like feel this urge to like really move and like i would just like take myself and my headphones and like just start randomly dancing at the park by myself uh-huh. and it was it was just like really liberating and i think that the same happened with film like i was also always expecting mm. like to be doing stuff like in quote unquote professional settings where yes. it's like i have a team like we're going to do this and this and this but then like i just started like texting friends and was like hey you want to meet me at the park and we can like shoot something you know like uh-huh. it became like a very casual everyday thing yes. instead of like always having to be like planned out and like this 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 and that you know mm. and so i think that like i come to realize that like art really comes naturally and the creation I guess art is like a very broad um term. Art is yeah, art is a very broad term. Yeah. And even but even so like just wanting to create something is very like built into our bodies. Like mm-hmm. we want to do it. Like you can't sit still like a, a human person isn't like meant to just sit still and be still. Like you know, you're <laughs> wired to like go out and dance or like sing or like create something, like do something. You know, like You know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you mean. But I'm also thinking about a listener who's who might be listening to this and saying, "Well, she's only saying that because she one she's a dancer and second, <laughs> she makes film." So for mm-hmm. if it's someone who is like, "Well, I don't dance, I don't sing." Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you feel like it applies to them? Yeah, but like even if you're not the creator, I feel like you want to consume something you know mm. like you want to watch a dance you want to mm. watch a film you want to like see people do stuff like i humans are very social creatures yeah. and like for okay for this part i will speak for the general public <laughs> okay, like you know like on social media or like just like with friends with um peers like i see people like saying like i want to like go to the theater like i want to like just i want to like go to a show i want to like do something like they're so tired of like being inside yeah. or like, being by themselves mm-hmm. like again like we're very social creatures we want to see art in the world we want to see color we want to see like noise and we just want to like create and even if you're not the ones creating you want to see people creating yeah so art is like inherently a part of who we are and mm-hmm. i don't think we can ever get rid of it and i also think that like on a less like um on a smaller level like i feel like 
people have really begun to realize that there is a difference in there's a difference in your community when you have art and when you don't have art mm. i think that like um with like i've been seeing like murals pop up over town like due to everything that's been happening here in the twin cities yes and i think that that was a very i don't want to glamorize it but i think that it was a very beautiful thing that came up came out of something very tragic yeah and very you know um like seeing artists go down university avenue and like putting up the black lives matter murals and like putting up like asian and black solidarity murals and all that like it was just something that was very heartwarming to see that like there's still a sense of community and safeness and that community and safeness was being portrayed by the art that was being put up mm. and so i think that like for really like art creates a sense of like um comfort in us even if like you're not the one creating it if you see art around you like there's a sense of comfort yeah community and like yeah. you know like just warmness that yeah. like even though all this tragic stuff is happening we can still come together and like create something better mm-hmm. i think about there's a mural um close to our office on one of the big walls i don't know if you've seen this but it's 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 supposed to be a, a hand holding a poster and the poster says empathy and it's really mm. really big it's really really big so from afar you can <laughs> only really see one letter at a time and every time i'm walking and i get close to it it's almost like i forget what the words are <laughs> <laughs> what the word is but then when I mm-hmm. get there and I see empathy I begin to really think about what that means to me and then I see mm-hmm. the different things that they've put um on the mural um talking about love talking about being together talking about resisting talking about mm-hmm. seeing the other person talking about listening and kindness and thinking about what all these things mean and are contributing yeah. so I, I hear what you're saying about how comforting yeah. it is to see that and Mm-hmm. and to hear that around even the places that um some of the places that had been um broken into during um mm-hmm. some of the riots um to see places with like broken glass now have been filled with a placard and 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 boarded up but the boards are painted in beautiful art so that it feels like a safe space it feels still welcoming mm-hmm. it still feels um, yeah you know like it's something that's broken and you know how even it reminds you also of um like little band-aids you know the children ones that usually have oh, like yeah. cards or candy mm-hmm. on them you know there's something there's a wound under but then there's this beautiful art that we've used to cover mm-hmm. and to kind of allow the healing to happen underneath well yeah. i feel so poetic without, poetic. without a metaphor oh my gosh oh my gosh <laughs> Uh, being an artist and being with your family and seeing how your family is consuming your work um actually maybe two ways maybe two questions how has your family been responding to your work to your work as a dancer to your work as a, do they do they understand it do they get it? especially sometimes when you're explaining the meaning of this piece sometimes i think artists can be very deep and we don't understand what you're saying because <laughs> come back if you look at this flower this flower means wealth and you're like but it's just a flower <laughs> so do you feel like you know the the depth and you're looking for the explanations of things but how has your family interacted with your work before and then i guess now when they've seen you um closer to home like literally closer to home and they're seeing you doing your work or they're seeing you doing your filmmaking and they're seeing you ha- doing uh, taking your pictures or dancing Do you feel like that has changed the way that they understand your art form? Mm. Yeah, um I feel like with my parents it's still like very um like <laughs> <laughs> very like up in the air because obviously okay, well first things first like they don't know that like I'm like dancing at school, you know? Okay. Like that's just kind of like something that like I started pursuing okay. and I'm kind of like maybe I should like not tell them this so they don't have a heart attack because no, obviously <laughs> My parents are still like very like you know you should like be a lawyer be a doctor like fucking uh, stem okay. stable job good income you know uh-huh. which is like understandable like being like immigrants yes. coming to a new country and like um, stability working important. so hard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of course but like I think that like <laughs> honestly 
which is very sad. But like, once you start making money, they're like, okay, that that sounds interesting. That sounds good. Because <laughs> with my recent um, film project that I was doing, it was funded by the JGS Imagining America Fellowship, okay. and so I got like some tuition money, and I also got like some money to help support myself and like the project itself. Yes. So when my parents knew about that, they were like, oh, money. Oh. <laughs> cool interesting like they're not like super all up in it and like super like yay go you you know do your work but they're like okay like that's an interesting start like mm. you're making money that's mm. a, that's something that i like to see you mm. know mm. which obviously is like like at its root it's kind of sad to see that like they um value my work based on like the money value mm. but i understand where they're coming from For you know sure. so it's kind of like this strange relationship where it's like i know you're not totally supporting it but if i'm making money then you'll be okay with it being able to observe and even see mm-hmm. that there's a lot of starving artists of color who mm-hmm. are doing amazing work but like even the way we framed our conversation before either are not getting funding for their work or they're not getting paid for their work which is yeah yeah which is horrible and so even mm-hmm. from the context that you've just given us having immigrant parents who are like my child needs to be able to survive better than I did and not just survive mm-hmm. to thrive so for them being compensated makes a lot of sense they want to see the value yeah. of your work they want other people yeah. to see the value of their work and give you the money even mm-hmm. though they don't yeah, see it for sure, like, for sure. she's doing great work pay her <laughs> pay her for her work <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and like I think it's also like hard for them personally because they're like it's just some, like, I, like you said, like artists tend to always like be using symbol. All this like, what does the blue curtain mean? Like, you know, there's a hidden, there's a hidden meaning between the color. Yes. But it's so it's like it's difficult for them to like understand the meaning of my work. But mm. I think that they definitely see that if I'm getting paid for my work, then mm. like that's a good start. Mm. And so again, like I'm saying, like I really do wish that institutions would fund more arts of color and like not just fund them when they're doing stuff that's related to trauma yeah yeah Mm. now that we're talking about your work tell us about your most recent work and 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 if you want to talk about other projects that you've done uh Mm -hmm. feel free to but um for our listeners that might not have interacted with you or your work before tell us about this most recent work and you can talk to us from the beforeground how you found out about this fellowship and that even mm-hmm. it was able to cover some of your tuition and, and a stipend for, like it was a a paying gig so tell us about mm-hmm. the context that, that you found out about this and then the process of you creating this piece yeah so the project was funded by jgs what is um, jgs imagining... that's a very good question jgs stands for oh the the joy of giving something. Okay. So J for joy, uh-huh. G for giving. <laughs> yeah. And then so within the joy of giving something foundation, mm-hmm. there's a Imagining America like organization or like subchapter okay. that is a fellowship. And really luckily for me, like this fellowship was specifically for BIPOC low income and either BIPOC and low income or BIPOC first generation students who okay. are working within digital media okay. and so like the topic was really broad like it was just digital media like digital media for social change of course mm. but it wasn't like digital media about blah 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 like, I, about, see, like, I see i see your trauma it was open or, you know it was very open-ended yeah and so i found out about this through my school's newspaper okay so you know connection <laughs> networking and so i just like applied for it and it's a national fellowship so i was pretty worried that like i wouldn't get it and I wasn't mm. too, like, optimistic. I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I'll just see by the end of the summer if I get anything. And luckily, thankfully, I was able to get in. Woo-hoo! And I, yeah, it was really great. I was one of eight participants nationwide. Lovely. So definitely, like, a very rigorous application process. Mm. But so I was doing this application and they asked me, like, what kind of, like, they asked me to propose a project. And in that moment, I was like, oh, like, let me do something about Hmong people. Like, you know, like, let me talk about, like, the Secret War and, like, the Vietnam War and, like, how that left us all with, like, trauma. Like, yes. And even as, like, children, like, we, we still have that intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. But then 
I didn't submit it, and I waited like a couple days. And then the post about um the post that Atlantis Thirteen shared came out about like you know like why are we always doing art about our pain? Why can't we like focus mm. on other stuff? Yeah. And so I was like, that's actually very true. Like I feel like a lot of my work has been about like how being a punk person. Uh, and like about being a punk person, but specifically about like the trauma of like the punk community. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to do something that was different and out of my comfort zone. And so I started thinking about um, mental health specifically because I was moving back. It was the summer. Okay, so let me give you a timeline. The me. application for this was last summer, twenty twenty. Yes. And so I obviously was out of school and back with my family and like away from friends and like just I think like. I love my parents. I love my family, but just being with them for so long was kind of like taking a toll on my mental health as well. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I would like reach out to friends and like try to keep in contact. But I also noticed that like a lot of my friends are um, having difficulty keeping in contact, and that worried me because I knew that like specifically a few of my friends like they have they do have like um, a history of like mental illness and specifically like being suicidal. Okay. And so. I was like, I feel like I should take this moment to do a work that is near and dear to my heart. And so mm. I wanted to do something with mental illness because it was like something that I deal with, my loved ones deal with. And I wanted to create a space for there to be conversations about mental health and mental illness. Yeah. And so initially what I proposed was like um, a mini film series on mental health. Mm-hmm. And it was very vague. And so like as the fellowship went on, I like... Um, made it more specific and mm-hmm. so I wanted to target um the BIPOC community here in the Twin Cities you know with what was happening last summer yes. with the murder of George Floyd I wanted to like have create a space for um BIPOC communities in the Twin Cities to like talk about their mental health and, like reflect on their mental health mm-hmm. um and so to do this like I sent out like google forms about my project and so the prompt was very open-ended it was like just talk about like your mental health experiences like mm-hmm. you know like it can be it was very open-ended like you can submit a song lyrics maybe you can like write a letter to yourself maybe mm-hmm. you can like share a personal narrative as long as it's like personal to you yeah and so i sent out like google forms to like different social media groups that i was a part of mm-hmm. one of them being like locust which is a twin city um facebook group for like artists and just freelancers or like you know people within that field mm-hmm. and uh, um to my disappointment to my disappointment no. there wasn't a lot of people in the twin cities who like submitted which is like okay like fine it's fine but i also um shared that google form to like other places mm-hmm. such as to other like social media groups i was a part of mm-hmm. and so i got like a very good amount of submissions but unfortunately not from the twin cities right so yeah, I really wanted to focus on the BIPOC community here, but, like, a lot of my um, submissions came from, like, all across the country okay. and even, like, uh, across the world. I had, like, some people submitting stories from who were from, like, China or, like, wow. New Zealand, Australia, which is, like, wow. really, really cool for me to, like, be working with people from all over the world. Yeah. But again, like, yes. my initial my initial project was to be on, like, the BIPOC, BIPOC community here. Yes. But, you know... Things happen. We deal with it. <laughs> yeah, and so with that, then um, what I did was like I went through each submission that people submitted, and yeah. like I chose six of them. I don't know why I chose six specifically, but mm. I chose six, and all six of them were like chosen, like um, in consideration of like what I can do within the time frame, the budget, and like also like the social distancing restrictions that I had, like what I what was manageable to me yeah. working on this by myself as like a one person a one woman filmmaker yes. instead of like working in a bigger team. group. Mm. I ended up choosing um two songs, mm-hmm. two poems and two personal narrative type of stuff. Um and with that like I emailed um each of the person who submitted their work and was like, Hey like I've chosen I've selected your piece of work and like I'm gonna create like a visual board and we're gonna like work together with this to see like what you think um helps represent uh your story, your experience. Mm-hmm. And so like it was like um I connected with them, we did like a lot of paperwork stuff and I shared with them a visual board with which essentially like as I'm reading through um their song lyrics or their poetry or like whatever they submitted, like I kind of just like thought about 
the visuals or the images that came to my head that I thought would help um, bring their words to life. Yeah. And with that, like, I shared it with them. Uh, we were, like, going back and forth, like, this is what I see happening. This is what I visualize. Like, do you also agree with this? Or do you think that, like, this is misrepresentative of your experience? Mm. And so there was, like, a lot of communication between me and, like, the authors or, like, the writers or the singers. Like, yeah. It was, there was a lot of communication to see that, like, to make sure that, like, whatever I had envisioned yes. wasn't glorifying or, like, romanticizing their experience. Because I feel like yeah. with mental health, that happens a lot mm. in mainstream media where it's, like, romanticized or, like, glorified and it's not really realistic anymore. Yeah. And so, yeah, with that, then, like, once I got, like, the okay from the author that, like, hey, like, I like what I'm seeing so far and go ahead and work with this. So after the visual board was, like, sent out and given an okay i created like a storyboard which essentially is like a visual board but like a frame by frame um plan and layout of what i wanted mm-hmm. the film to look like mm-hmm. and so after that like i had to reach out to um local uh, bipoc actors and voice actors so okay. this time this time i got to work with like local people Yay. which is really cool because like um i Although I like working in film, I've never really worked that much with like local actors mm-hmm. or you know, like I I feel like I'm so stuck inside the bubble of my college that I've never really worked with anybody else outside of my school. Yeah. And so this time it was really cool to work with like um especially um the Asian American actors in the Twin Cities. Like mm-hmm. I didn't expect them I didn't expect there to be like like such a great amount of that you know mm-hmm. and seeing that like seeing that like especially like generally in our culture like working in this um field is kind of frowned upon yeah so it was really cool to just like see how many people are interested in acting and in the filming industry mm-hmm. and so yeah so with that like i reached out to actors and voice actors and then we, like scheduled time to film and then we filmed and then i edited the stuff yes. and then I put it up on the website, and yeah, it it, it sounds really simple, but it was like a really, a really long process. (laughs) No, I don't imagine, it didn't, I don't know why you think simple. I didn't, I didn't make a face. I don't think it sounds simple at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was just really cool to see, like, um, because obviously the voice actors and actors, some of them were the actual people who submitted, um, like, work, and then some of them were just, like, other people who were interested in doing acting or voice acting Mm -hmm. and it was really cool to like see the different demographics that I was working with yeah and like because you know like I said like with the um the works that the writings themselves like they were from BIPOC people but not a lot of them were from the Twin Cities Mm. but with acting and voice acting I was able to work with like literally everybody was from the Twin Cities and with that like as I was explaining my project to them they were also like really interested and they're like wow like this is such like a great thing that you're doing and it was just like really heartwarming to see that like other BIPOC people are seeing value in my work you know because I feel like being a college student at a white institution it's usually like me doing my work to cater to like white white people white professors you know but here like I'm like connecting with local BIPOC individuals and like you know they're not professors or like people of like what we would traditionally like quote unquote call like um I don't know what is what would we call like just like intellectual yeah intellectuals professional people you know like they were just like i don't know like there was one person who i was working with and she was like a retired person yeah and she just like she worked in like basic um customer service type stuff but like seeing how like seeing like such real reactions from everyday people is something that like really touched me that Mm. like like i'm making an impact on an actual person Mm. not like some power some figure in power you know yes so yeah and like i was working with um people in my age group and people who are like 40s and 50s to do acting and voice acting so that oh. was really cool to me and like like i mentioned like they would in the process of like working with each other um to do filming and acting they would like give me remarks such as like you know like this is such a great project like you know mental health needs to be spoken more about in my community like i'm really glad that you're doing this yeah and just seeing how real this was becoming was yes. just like so rewarding to me because wow. I feel like the project had been all like in my head and like I was like imagining like all this great stuff yes but like 
I wasn't really like I was really scared about like what was going to happen with the project. And when I finally like got down, sat down, and started filming and working with people, just seeing their reactions and like their thoughts on it was just so heartwarming to me. Mm, you know? Wow, good to like be around people who. Um... Um, it sounds like being around being around the people that you worked with, this team of yeah. BIPOC people, validating your work, validating yeah. your artistry as a as a as a filmmaker, as a person mm-hmm. going through this process. I think that's a great thing that you were able to experience, and and glad that you're able to experience it before, or, or that you had to really look out look for it. I think it's something that a lot of artists want to mm-hmm. make sure that their work is impacting the people that it's meant to impact it's for you yeah um so i'm glad that you love validation (laughs) no no, yes and i think it's important to have that validation because um we also have a lot of voices in our heads that decide to tell Mm -hmm. us otherwise about yeah oh Mm -hmm. wow it was really great to see that like the work that i wanted to impact certain people were in fact impacting certain Mm -hmm. people so that was just really great to me what had you envisioned um, of this project that you feel you were totally off about, like you are very, very far off, or you didn't even realize something about your project that you've now learned from it? Like as you've been, as you've worked through it and tirelessly, tirelessly cleaned this films and looked at every picture, every frame, um, every actor, talked to every person, what are some of the things that you thought for sure this is gonna happen? And then you envision something differently or the way you imagined it isn't the way that it turned out or the way that you imagined it is exactly how mm-hmm. it turned out. What are some of those? Yeah, I think, again, that I've mentioning, like, I wanted it to focus on experiences of people here in the Twin Cities, mm. but obviously that didn't happen. Yeah. And, like, looking back, like, I think that was very understandable because, you know, although, like, racial inequality was, it happens everywhere, like, it was really heightened here in Twin Cities. And so I think that it was good that I didn't focus on people in the Twin Cities because yeah. then I feel like, looking back, it might have been something like I was exploiting I their, experience, their experiences, you know? So I think that it was better that I was able to focus on a more general population mm-hmm. outside of the Twin Cities. Yeah. And I also think that, like, for me, when I was first, when I was first starting this project, I was kind of thinking that like maybe not a lot of asian americans would be interested yeah because i feel like within our like generally in our cultures like it's not something that we should be talking it's not seen as something that we should be talking about Mm -hmm. it's very very stigmatized against Mm -hmm. and i know that like generally within like the general population like it's still something that's very stigmatized yes but i feel like that stigmatization is so much heavier in asian cultures Mm -hmm. but like, looking through these submissions that I have and, like, the final results, the final works I have, like, there's an overwhelming amount of Asian Americans who submitted to this project. Yes. And so I was just really surprised by it and also, like, very comforted by it that, like, um, people in my community are starting to talk more about these issues that we have once, like, that we have been so stigmatized against. Yeah. What's the hope then with that? If you If you're, like... Okay, so we it is possible that people are talking about this, but they're talking about it maybe not as loudly or in some mm-hmm. spaces and not others. What is the hope with with this piece of work that you now have into getting into the, or tapping into the interest that you've seen, into the voices that you've seen, to the reporting that you've seen? What's kind of the hope with 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 your work into getting into some of that stigma within communities and within your community specifically? I think that, like, with this project, I realized that, like, people do want to speak out, or at least, like, they're starting to, like, have the courage Mm. to speak out. Mm. And what they really need is, like, a platform, a space. They need a space for their voice. Because even if you have a voice, but you don't have a space for that voice, then it kind of goes nowhere, you know? Yeah. And so (laughs) I think that um, in going forward, I would like to work more with, like, combining mental health and digital media together because I feel like it's very difficult to like um talk about mental health it's like it's very difficult to talk about mental health Mm -hmm. and the spaces that we usually talk about mental health are like private spaces you know like support groups Mm -hmm. therapy but making these creating spaces to talk about it that are 
public yes. will help like get rid of stigma mm. because although it's something personal it's also something that is relatable you yes. know like yes. in my work like I've had work from Asian Americans and also like I've had work from um, black individuals and I get I got like emails talking about like I've gotten an email from a black individual who was relating the Asian person's story that nice. like, that submitted and so I was like you know like uh, we always separate ourselves yeah but I think that when it comes to mental health like no matter what the color of your skin is like no matter who you are like you're going to experience it and you're going to experience it differently not mm-hmm. because of the color of your skin but mm-hmm. just because you're a different person you yes, know like yes. you're an individual yes your experience is individual to you yes but still even though it's so personal it can still be relatable to yes. people who are so so different from you correct and i think that if we continue to like publicly share our stories we're gonna like be able to connect and heal people that we don't even realize we can heal you mm. know and that's the magic power of art. Look at you go. <laughs> Please tell our listeners where they can find your work, how they can connect to this project and kind of see some of the things that you've been talking about. Yeah, so the project is called Open Words. Okay. Like, you know, open words, opening up, telling your words, telling your stories. Yes. So the project is hosted on a website called projectopenwords.com. Okay. So that's projectopenwords.com. And um, on there, you can see like the process of it, the projects of it, the process of it, and the final outcome of it, as well as like behind the scenes. And like, I also have like mental health resources listed on the website. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And once you're on the website, like when you go to the videos, the videos will be linked to my YouTube channel, which is where the videos themselves are and also like other videos that I worked on in the past yes and yeah I feel like um I'm still in my beginning stages so there's still a lot to learn and a lot to improve on but definitely give it a look give Yay. it a view share your thoughts it's really humbling to see the process or maybe to hear you not maybe not to see to hear you talk about <laughs> the process of this of this project that you had the visions that you had for it and the processes and that you went through to create this piece and even what you've learned from it. I think um, being maybe after listening to it and maybe watching it, listeners can have also their own different takeaways, having had from you a bit of the behind the scenes and maybe just watching it and seeing, oh my gosh, I, I hear what you were saying here, or I see this, or and this makes sense. Mm-hmm. So we're cheering you on in this young <laughs> in, in this young process young journey of your artistry <laughs> will be cheering for you on this end thank you so much Mai for coming on here and sharing your work yeah. and your stories with us thank you so much for having me and thank you guys so much for listening yay stay tuned and listen to the rest of our series thank you and see you next time bye bye Visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. All music loops used in this episode came from the song titled The Way, produced by Mike Lighty and made available through a Creative Commons license. Mike Lighty's music can be heard online at soundcloud.com forward slash Mike Lighty. Lighty is spelled L-E-I-T-E. For information about the Creative Commons license and additional links to Mike's music, including the full version of the song The Way, Please see the podcast show notes for this episode.